This is Donnie Tuttle, the Sell Anywhere trainer, coach, and practitioner. Welcome to the only podcast designed for the remote sales professional and the remote leader, helping you live with more joy, more freedom, and more productivity. We believe that your talent is not limited to your zip code and that you can build the life that you want while selling from anywhere. What is up, Sell Anywhere listeners? I have someone you're going to want to look up. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you haven't heard of her. But after this, I'm promising you she is going to leave a mark. Her name is Rachel Richards. And if you're on social media, just go connect with me and then and see, look at my secondary connections. Rachel Richards is her name. Uh, Rachel, I'm going to let you tell us about you, but... Uh, Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Sell Anywhere podcast. Thank you, Donnie. Yeah, so a little bit about me. Um, I am a lot of things. I'm a former financial advisor. I'm a real estate investor. My husband and I own over 35 rental units in Kentucky. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a best-selling author of two books on financial literacy. And what people find most interesting about me is that last year at age 27, I quit my job and retired, and I'm now living off over $10,000 per month in passive income. Wow. Okay. Like, uh, sign me up. I'm sure that everyone <laughs> is, is saying that on, um, you know, who, who is listening. And listen, it's different to have uh, something where you have a great job and you get paid a lot. You still have to show up for that one. So, but, yeah. but this, this whole passive game, you've created something different. And you said, you, did you say $10,000 that you don't have to, you don't have to lift a finger for? Is that what happened? Yeah, exactly. And I will say, you know, there's a lot of myths around passive income. But to me, the way I define passive income is that it is money that is earned with little to no ongoing effort. So is anything truly passive? Maybe the one thing that's truly 100% hands off is portfolio income. Mm -hmm. But the problem with portfolio income is you normally have to have, you know, two, three million dollars to generate any type of meaningful income. And, you know, I, I certainly don't have that. So I had to start somewhere else. Um, other types of passive income streams are rental income, royalty income from books. There's tons. In my book, I outline 28 different types. So there's definitely something out there for everybody. And most of these are income streams where you're going to be putting in a couple hours a week, a few hours a month just to maintain them. But if you ask me, that's a lot better than your typical nine to five job. And that's the thing I love about it the most, Donnie, you touched on it. I can now work when, where, and if I want to. I'm not tied down to a physical location. I'm not tied down to certain hours. So it's given me the ultimate freedom that I've always wanted. So I'm very, I'm in a great spot. I'm very grateful. I put in a lot of hard work, but it's, it's fun to be here. Love that. Here's the thing. I think anyone listening to this, that's, there's that, that when, where, and if, like the, to me, that's freedom, right? When you can choose what you do, how you do it, when you do it, where you do it. We're talking about what, um, oh gosh, Tim Ferriss, right? Four hour work week. He calls oh, I that love the, him. <laughs> the, the nuevo rich, the new rich. Yeah. It's, it's having choice. All right. I don't know. Were you just born into millions of dollars? <laughs> Um, no, you, but I get asked that a lot. People, yeah, people are like, bring, did you inherit money? <laughs> no. Bring me to the decision where like, like you were a financial advisor mm -hmm. and bring me to the decision where you said, 
I think this is what I want to do and, and talk to us a little bit about maybe the, the, the big hairy monster that was looking at you in the eye um, that, you, that you steamrolled. I want, to, I want to hear that story. Yeah, I think my passion actually started from a pretty young age in middle school and high school. Um, you know, my parents were on a budget. Um, I grew up in this really wealthy county. And I remember when all my friends turned 16, like people in my high school were getting brand new BMWs and brand new cars. And I certainly was not. <laughs> and it's hard that age to feel like you don't fit in. So mm -hmm. I just remember feeling like I was different than those people and that I didn't have the same luxuries and and just wanting to fit in. Um, and then when you look at, you know, the, the average American and the average struggles of the average household, people struggle with money. I didn't want to end up like everyone else. I didn't want to have to struggle with money my whole life or operate on a strict budget. I didn't want to have to borrow money from family and friends to make it to my next paycheck. Those were all things that I had witnessed growing up. I wanted to be different. And I realized at that young age, what I did then would either set me up for wealth or for poverty. So it kind of lit a fire under me when I started learning about money management. I started reading books. I became really passionate about it. Um, I sold Cutco cutlery. I don't know if you've heard of Cutco, Cutco knives. Yeah. Yeah. John yeah. Yes, yes, John Rulin. I sold Cutco throughout college to pay for college. I went to a $40,000 a year private liberal arts school and I paid for my way through school all on my own and graduated without debt, which to this day is one of my proudest accomplishments. So I was taking money very seriously. Okay. All right. Time out. There's a little bit of okay. a sales journey in there. Listen, if you, yes. if you have sold enough, if you sold Cutco knives and, um, and paid for college with that, like, like <laughs> obviously this, that was probably as much of a college education as what you actually received at the liberal arts college. Was oh my it gosh. You're not wrong. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I, I learned more practical business skills in that knife job than I did at college. So and probably some <laughs> personal self-psychology as well um, yes i'm sure so now you're in college were you a, when 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 were you a financial advisor and where were you at and, and kind of how did how did that journey go so i figured at graduating college i was like well what should i do and i had financial advisor to me sounded like the perfect job because i could help people with this thing i was passionate about and i had the sales experience so i was like let's start there um i started and it turns out i can be very good at sales but i don't always love it i'm actually an introvert and sometimes sales is something that's very very draining to me so it was difficult. I realized, you know, when you're a financial advisor, you're spending the first five years literally cold call, calling people. That's all you're doing. And I just, at that point, I was like, I just don't think I can commit to this. Like this, this is really, really hard for me. So I did that for about a year, about a year. And then I got out of it. Can, My passion. Can press, Go ahead. Can I press yeah. the pause button for just a minute because again, Cutco and you're now you're a financial advisor. You did that for what, how does an introvert survive in that world? What did you do to excel um, while you were there? And this is, I'm just sewing a couple of bones to my introverts out there. You know who you are. Yeah, I uh, certainly am one. I, you know, I think fear is such a powerful motivator. And when I was a high school senior about to graduate high school, with what I had learned about money and the struggles I had seen people around me have with money, I had this enormous fear. I had this fear of not having enough money and of having to be financially dependent on somebody else and of not being able to financially help one of my loved ones if they needed me to. So I had this fear going on. I didn't want to graduate with student loan debts. To me, I was like, I remember feeling suffocated by that idea. So, you know, I'd been working at American Eagle 
I was like, that's not going to cut it if I'm trying to pay my way through school. When I found the Cutco job, it was the first time I'd been exposed to something where the harder you worked, the more money you could make. And I was like, well, I may be an introvert, but I can outwork anybody. I can have a solid work ethic. And to me, it just became this total focus on my goal and having this why this motivation and I was not going to let anything stop me. So I had to just forget about, you know, discomfort and social anxiety and fear of rejection because my motivation was stronger than all those things. Mm. And I think that's really the key finding something that's going to motivate you and you're going to be willing to make yourself uncomfortable to achieve those things. Strong motivator. I love it. All right. So now bring us to like, I want to hear, I want to hear the decision and how the early part of this played out because I'm I, like, I don't know, was it, was it cold turkey or did, did Rachel do the things little by little? Um, I've heard some of your stories, so I know it, but. <laughs> in terms of writing the book? Uh, no, um, in, in terms of, you know, the 35 properties within. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so real estate investing is something I'd always wanted to do because throughout everything I'd learned, to me, it was one of those, it was one of the best ways to build long-term wealth. So I was always very interested in it. After I was a financial advisor, I took some real estate related jobs because I was pretty passionate about that at the time and I wanted to learn. So that's what I did for a little while. Um, I ended up getting my real estate license that way. And then later I became a corporate finance analyst, which is where I spent three years. Um, that was the last thing that I did before I quit. So at some point during that, you know, I felt like I had the knowledge. I finally had the money saved and I decided in 20, 2016, my husband and I started looking for rental properties. And then in 2017 is kind of where things really took off for us. This is recent. This isn't like you did this yeah. 20 years ago and now you're telling us how to do it. This is like so uh, this is applicable today, yeah? Yes, this is something I never thought we could create passive in so much passive income so fast. My goals that are early certainly weren't projecting it to be, you know, mm -hmm. something I could do in two or three years. But now that I've done it, I, I see how attainable it is for everybody else. So that's why I love it so much. You know, in 2017, that beginning of 2017, we had zero dollars in passive income. We were both working full time. We were tied down to a physical job, a physical location, you know, working nine to five every week. So 2017, we bought our first duplex. And then later that year, I self-published my first book, Money Honey. So that's where things sort of began for us. Love it. And I know, I know, like, I, I, well, typically when we, we, we decide to step over the line, there are a lot of things that are screaming at us. You don't know enough. You don't have enough. Um, I, I don't know, like what, what were the big things that were kind of yelling at you to kind of keep you in your box? Do you remember any of those? Oh, absolutely. I think one big thing when I was writing Money, Honey, um, and I'll start with the reason I wrote the book, because at that point, I was this go-to person. All my family and friends came to me for financial advice because of my background and because of my passion. And I began wondering why they weren't reading or self-educating or learning on their own. And then I realized, oh yeah, money management is really boring, right? <laughs> the topic of personal finance is intimidating and dull and complex, and it's hard for people to learn about. So then I thought, well, what if I can take this topic and make it sassy and fun and simple. And that's where the idea of writing Money Honey came from. So I started writing it. I sat down. I was really excited at first, of course. You know, the words flowed out of me. And then about four months in, I quit. I quit writing the book. I had no intention of ever proceeding with it. And that's because by that point, the things that I was telling myself were things like, 
wow, your writing is a piece of crap. You know, who are you to write about this? Who do you think you are, Rachel? Um, I thought it was going to be a total embarrassment if I went through with it. So I quit. I was, it was that self-doubt. Mm -hmm. It just totally consumed me. And it wasn't until I sat down and had lunch with a good friend who was also a coworker. And I told her about this book I had started writing and she stopped me and she said, Rachel, like, what are you thinking? You have to pick this up. You have to finish this. You know, you're, you're really onto something here. So she gave me the encouragement I needed, but really the only reason I went through with publishing it is because at that point I just told myself, okay, if I can just help one person, that's all I want to do. And, th and that was literally a hundred percent true. I didn't oh, do it for yeah. money. I didn't do it to change thousands of lives. I just felt compelled to do it. And I, I was just like, if I can just help one person, that's great. So. <laughs> uh, listen, um, and I'm just, I'm just going to address this. Anytime any of you, like myself, all of us included, where none of us are immune to this. When we see something in front of us, we're going to be confronted with a fear, right? Um, that you're not enough, you, 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 like whatever, there's so many other voices, they're all doing it, why would you do it? And I, and I love that you, it wasn't about you, like it sounds like it was, it was about others, and it wasn't about this massive crowd, um, it was just, hey, you know what, even one. I'll, I'll give myself a success for, for even one. And um, I actually, personally, uh, that's, that's a part of my thing too, I literally have my fears on my wall over there of why I wouldn't play big, you know, like, like I am, but I, and in one of those is, is that what if no one listens? And my answer was a lot like what, what you just now shared is like, I said to myself, or I say to myself, I'm all, I'm not looking for the masses. I only want the rebellion. <laughs> so it's like being able to, to make it into a small group. It's it like, it helps. Yes, totally. And what I didn't realize at the time, the technical word for what I was struggling with is the imposter syndrome. And it's something that affects everybody. It affected me. Anytime I got a new job, I felt like a fraud. I felt like I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So it's something I've had to sort of struggle and work with throughout my life. I've gotten better at it. Um, but you know, the great thing about publishing the book the way I did with those motivations is that it ended up being wildly successful, more successful than I ever could have thought possible. I think I have over like 500 five-star reviews on Amazon now. So, okay. So, so talk to us because like, if I even help one person, I'm okay. And you did it. And then what happened? Like, it's like on the other side of this watershed moment, what happened from just from this? Yeah. Well, it's so funny. Cause even right after I published it, I was like, you know, hiding, like hanging my head in shame. I just, ha just had such fear about it still. I was still, you know, super nervous. Um, and I think it took six months for me to really understand that I had put some really amazing work out of it out there. And it really resonated with female millennials. And I was starting to get emails like every week and then every day of people and at this point, it was random strangers. You know, it's one thing for your friend to be like, yeah, you right. wrote a great book. But I was getting emails from strangers being like, hey, Rachel, I read your book and this has changed my life and I've paid off my debt and I've turned my life around. I just want to thank you. And it took some of those emails for me to finally realize, oh, wow, I, I, did, a, I did a good job. You know, I didn't write a piece of crap. My book is actually changing lives. And that gave me a lot of confidence moving forward. What's up, you wandering slayer of sales? Hey, listen, if you know anything about me, you know that I am a teacher and I believe in sharing experience, right? That's what this whole podcast is about. 
Well, I've actually taken all of the best stuff from the people I've interviewed on this podcast and other places and all of the people I've coached around the world and my own experience. Listen, two and a half years of bumping my head and doing it wrong finally gave me a formula that helped me to be able to not only go out there and crush my schedule when my office was only a 10 feet commute, (laughs) but also to be more effective than anyone else that's out there. Listen, if you can sell anywhere, you can sell everywhere. And so this is a course for a mastery of those who are without an office or those who are aspiring to be without an office. So go ahead and go over to DonnieTuttle.com right now. And you're going to see right there in the uh, in the header there, you're going to see some information about the new Sell Anywhere course. And guess what? You get the first one for free. So go check it out right now, DonnieTuttle.com. And now back to the show. Come on. And listen, I, I believe this, whether it's a book or whatever it is that you have, all of us have something inside of us that is there to free other people. 100%. And being able to connect with that. What a, what a, what a powerful place of purpose. I love that you said that, Donnie, because I I truly think the same thing. Everyone has a unique voice and a unique gift to share with the world. Yeah, even even if there have been a hundred other people who have said something that's similar, they haven't said it, I think you said sassy and fun, right? It's like, (laughs) Jen Sincero, I I recommend, one of of my top books that I recommend is uh, Jen Sincero's You Are a Badass, right? And she didn't say anything new. There was zero, zero new in that book, but it was her voice. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, think about the thousands of personal finance books that are out there. And you really have to ask yourself as a salesperson or entrepreneur, you know, what problem am I solving? Why would someone choose to buy my book or my service or my product over the thousands of others that are already out there? You have to have that unique value proposition and you have to be able to articulate it very, very clearly. If you can't answer that question, then you're not going to see the success that you're hoping for. Love that. What problem am I solving? You sell anywhere maniacs that are out there. That's, that's the question for you. What question are you, what, what problem are you solving? And, uh, and, and I'm going to combine that. I, I was recently on because my, our son is an artist and, um, and we were able to speak to, to the founders of the Stan Lee Foundation. And one of the ladies um, that worked with him across from him for two decades uh, said that he would always say the same thing. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, people bring him great stuff all the time. And he's like, make me care. <laughs> make me care. And I'm, and I'm hearing from you, you know, what problem am I? Am I solving? Mm-hmm. Love it. All right. I want to, I want to, I want to, you are not uh, just the rank and file person who, um, you know, follows everything that's been put out there. In fact, there's a lot of bad stuff that you uh, feel like might be littering the airwaves in terms of entrepreneurship, growth, business, finance, money, all of those things. And maybe, maybe some myths that need to be busted up a little bit. Yes, I have I several of these. Let, I wanted to see if I could open that one up for you. 
I love that. Yeah. One of the things that in terms of money specifically that I hear people say a lot is that being a full-time salaried employee is safe. You know, you have job stability, you have income security. And I disagree with that, like really hardcore, because if you're 100% dependent on a single source of income, to me, there's nothing safe about that. What if your hours get cut? What if you get laid back? What if you lose your job? Then you have zero income. So I like to talk about this concept of income diversification. And this is thinking about how can I have multiple sources of income? Because that is where true income stability comes from. And the perfect example of that is myself right now, because you know a large part of my income is from rental income. And with what's happening right now with coronavirus and what's going on with the world, a lot of my tenants are not not able to pay rent. So for example, in, I think in March, I went from on an average month making seven to $12,000 per month in profit just from my rentals. In April, I made $1,000 of profit. So I basically broke even. Now there's a lot of landlords out there that are a lot worse off than me. There's a lot that are doing better. To me, I was like, well, if I break even for a few months and that's my worst case scenario, like I am very happy with that. That's fine. But the only reason I'm not in a total panic right now and that I'm not acting out of desperation is because I have three other passive income sources keeping me afloat. Just in February with my book royalties, I had my first $7,000 month. So that, yeah, thank you. So that's the importance of income diversification. Don't be 100% dependent on a single source of income. That is phenomenal. And so there are lots of ways to do that, right? Um, Talk to us a little bit about there's there's probably some anxiety that goes along with that. I'm I'm hearing your story. There seems like there's some some tension that uh, would have worked its way in and out of that. And I know that you have something to say to those of us like like Corona tension and and and, and there's there are a lot of obviously um, things in this last week that have been entirely like there's there it feels like it's one thing after another. Mm-hmm. And um, I I hear a lot of people telling me that that I work with is like. I'm exhausted from just from the anxiety of what's happening around me. Can you, I, I know that's an area where, where you have probably, you struggle with and you've, and you've put it in place. Can you share with us a little bit about that? Oh yeah. I um, have struggled a lot with anxiety as an entrepreneur, going through the coronavirus, you know, everything that's going on. But actually about a year and a half ago, I was really struggling with severe anxiety. And I I think it's a problem that's so typical of salespeople, entrepreneurs, business owners, because it's so high pressure. Um, And for me, the problem was actually being a workaholic and really suffering from burnout. Um, It's actually funny because last year when I quit my job, I had this fear, you know, we're always dealing with fears and struggles, right? So I had this fear that I was going to quit my job and just be, become this very lazy person and sleep all day and not do anything. And I guess I just didn't know myself very well because that is the opposite of what happened. <laughs> I went from working my 40 hour job to working 80 hours as an entrepreneur, right? And I think that's something that entrepreneurs struggle with a lot because when you're working your own business or working from home, you don't have these physical barriers of telling you when your workday stops and starts. You know, I'm not physically going into an office right. and physically coming mm-hmm. home anymore. So it became very hard for me to, to turn it to the off switch. And not only that, but when you're doing something you're super passionate about, it's, it's fun and you want to do it all day long. And that's truly how I felt. So building in those times to rest and recharge, 
that's something I struggle with. And that's what led me into having such crippling anxiety for probably like a year long period. Um, so what kind of helped me come out of that is I actually went to see Hal Elrod speak last year. He yeah. is the, yes, he's the international bestselling author of the miracle morning. I'm like such a big fan of him. He's awesome. And he actually has been really public about his struggle with anxiety over the past year. And he said something to me that changed my life. He said, you have to completely commit to living 100% in alignment with your life values. Now, my husband and I, we talked about our values before. We've always said our values are health, family, and freedom. But Hal's point was, yeah, everyone says family is their value. But how many, you know, dads and moms don't see their kids enough? How many spouses don't make enough quality time for one another? So we're all talking that, but we're not actually walking the walk, right? So, you know, Hal really had some courage to step up and start really living in alignment with his values. He said once his school's uh, his kids' school schedules came out, he started canceling speaking contracts and canceling engagements, things he had never done before, literally having to give back thousands and thousands of dollars to cancel these things because they re he realized that they fell on his kids' you know, fall break or spring break. And so once he started talking about this, I just felt so inspired and I felt like I had the permission, I guess, to go out and do the same thing. It was seeing him have the courage to do it that I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do this too. And so I basically, my husband and I kind of did an activity together after that. We decided to list out all the different ways we spent our time, whether it was literally sleeping or meal prepping or meditating or social media or TV. And we listed out our values, health, family, and freedom. And we just went one by one. And we said, well, is spending our time on this, is this in complete alignment with these three values? And we would just check those things off. And that exercise was so eye-opening. We saw all the things we were wasting our time on and all the things that were truly meaningful and adding to our quality of life. So we were able to make some really clear, easy decisions just based off that. Just seeing mm -hmm. that written down was so powerful. And it's been one of the most significant impacts, significantly impactful things that we've ever done in our marriage. So highly recommend that activity. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend, you know, just having the courage and giving yourself the permission to actually live in complete alignment with your values. Um, this, so what, what you just said is this is like, I would say my life song is that, um, you know, the, <clears throat> the reality is, and, and, and this is going to be a dual podcast. This is definitely going to be on the purpose driven executive as well. Um, but the reality is, is that most of us, we want to, I see a lot of people, Rachel, um, and, and by a lot of people, I mean like me first, okay? Um, doing what we think we have to do. And, <clears throat> and I get it, like sur survival is, is a, it's a thing, you know, being addicted to um, eating and paying bills, you know, I mean, that's a thing. But ultimately, uh, you and I, like I, I am in control over everything that I say yes to. Exactly. And there is a lot more getting through that gate than I think there is until I start actually tracking it and seeing, I, I like the idea of what you said, like, you know, like just put your life values down, see, see which, which one of these does this connect with? Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that most of us have a lot of unintentional filler. And I, I think, by the way, I think that a lot of times we're doing work that's not gratifying. Personally, I, I believe this, we, we do what's not gratifying. So it, 
zaps us so much that we end up doing almost like people might eat eat for comfort or whatever we will we'll 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 do the same thing with our time and boy i mean you just you, you said so many things that i think are are so relevant but i believe that we can i i think i think it is it is our job to find out and and, and just say what do i want out of this thing i get one trip what do i want whatever it is that you want your life story to be and, and you know for me the question is like what are the feelings i want to feel you know like for me it's 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 joy which i i have listed up here that i want to be the most joyful man i know um you know it's joy and it's it's peace and it's adventure those are those three things that i want to feel those are the feelings and then and then the question is is well what does that look like it should look like those things i've got these pictures in my, and for those who are listening i'm pointing at a vision board behind me and um but it should be played out on my calendar yes a hundred percent and it's something i still struggle with donnie i i'm not perfect i'm not like any better than anyone else out there struggling with this but having being able to say no as an entrepreneur salesperson business owner that's been the absolute hardest part of running a business. Was, was, there a, was there a fear? Because I'm like, it's almost like I'm hearing you say, like when I gave myself permission. Yes. Was there a fear? Was there a fear of loss? I'm going to lose income. I'm going to lose space. I'm going to lose value. What, was there a fear that you? I think subconsciously, yes. And this, this actually leads into another myth that I disagree with. Because, well, to a point, you know, there's this piece of advice that you should say yes to every opportunity, right? Talk to me. Say yes to every opportunity that comes mm -hmm. your way. Mm -hmm. And that I do agree with that to a point. I agree when you're first starting out in whatever venture you're, you're trying to do. Yeah, say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. But there gets a point where if you keep doing that, you are doing that to your detriment. And you have to learn to be more selective because you will become so inundated with opportunities and requests that if you say yes to all of them, there's not any time left for anything else. Right. And you don't, the last thing you want to do, and this is what I realized I was doing, my schedule was filling up with everyone else's priorities. There was no room left for any of my own priorities. So that's when I realized I have to say no. I have to be comfortable with saying no. And I have to be okay knowing that Maybe it's a missed opportunity, but look at it this way. Everything you say yes to means you're saying no to something else. You're saying no to something else. Yes. Exactly. So you just, you have to be so clear on your priorities, literally write them down. That way, if a request or an opportunity comes your way, you just look at your priorities. Is it meeting your priorities? Yes or no. Then you say yes or no. It's as simple as that. I mean, obviously easier said than done. It's simple, but it's not easy. I'll, I'll put it that way. Well, and, and I will say, so you're looking at a chronic um, abandoner of the to-do list. And, uh, and, and, and one thing that helps me that it's funny because you think like, oh, this like he coaches people to do this, so he shouldn't have to struggle. Not true, right? Um, I've got, I'm messed up. I have several coaches. So. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but being able to give a why to my what. So if this is what I'm doing and this is why, or this is why it's important. Like, it's like, remembering again like it's just the connection to, to to your essence and being able to own Rachel like you were saying before like being able to own like my like I I did this because I wanted to do this not because I was told to do this not because I had to but because I want and um you want to find people who are worn down and hate life find people who are only are doing what they have to do 
Exactly. And that was me. And happy. It's, it's what they want to do. And the, like, mm-hmm. so for me, your story is like, Hey, here is a journey to get to do what you, what you want to do. And Oh, by the way, you don't have to be afraid that you're just going to be some lazy bum. You know, once <laughs> you get there. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, did, did you have, let me ask you this. I've, I've worked with people that, um, once we get to a place to where, so like a lot of people like, hey, help me save time. And so I've taken 80 hours and now it's only, um, now they're getting their job done in 12 or 14 hours. And now they're looking at their time and they're, they're bored. They don't know what to do with it. Did you have any withdrawals from the, um, just from the pattern of work, 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 outwork everyone in sight, go, 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 go. Did you have any withdrawals from that or did you just... Yeah, you know what? I didn't. Um, Once I was able to sort of start letting go and really being 100% intentional with the way I was spending my time, my levels of fulfillment and happiness and peace have all just increased dramatically. So, you know, these days I am working on my book business. I'm doing podcasts. I'm doing my online course. Um, I, tr- I take breaks throughout the day. I'll go on walks. I'll do exercise throughout the day. And then I try to wrap up my work day around two or three. And I'll do, you know, maybe I'll do a hike in the afternoon with my husband or take my dog to the dog park. So overall, it's just so interesting because I'm, I'm operating at the same level I was before. I'm making way more money than I was before. And I have a much more fulfilling lifestyle and a much better balance working what you want when you want yeah work like, smart uh, not hard or yeah. smart not hard right <laughs> yeah I've, 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 I always kind of view it like um if I can make every day like a Saturday work day and like it's like I don't work on Saturdays but on the day when I used to yeah. it was it was like I'd work a little bit I'd play a little bit I'd work a little bit more I'd go be with the family it was just like that was a pattern that I would define for myself and, and the reality is is can I create that and my answer is yes, you, you can, you have. Mm-hmm. Rachel, speak, speak to the audience. We're talking, about, we're talking about sales executives out there. A lot of these people are trying to go out there and live the location independent lifestyle. And so you're offering hope to them. Um, some of these people are, they're leading their businesses and maybe they're non, non-dependent upon an office, but we're talking about people in sales, people who are running businesses. Can you, can you lay out a simplified plan of how someone like that can create passive income through, and we'll just, we'll just take the real estate path, right? Of, of how would someone start? And let's just say, I'm just going to, I'm going to put the average, we'll we'll take a salesperson, maybe they're earning 130,000 a year. Um, And maybe not even that much if you want to, if you want to ratchet it down and maybe they they only have, you know, $10,000 to their name. Yeah. Give us, give us a track. Yeah, where to start. And you touched on a great point, Donnie, because the first place to start is understanding with passive income, it's not a get rich quick scheme. Okay, you can't just snap your fingers and start generating 5k a month in passive income. It takes time or money to create. So the first step is understanding, okay, do I have more time or do I have more money to invest in building this passive income stream? Once you have it built and you have it launched, you have it going, then it becomes a lot more hands-off. That's when it really becomes passive. But in that first stage, you're going to have to spend time or money. So if you had asked me that question, do I have more time or money? You know, two two years ago, I would have said I have neither. (laughs) So the next question to ask yourself is, okay, well, which one's going to be easier for you to create right now in your life? Is it going to be easier for you to free up more time or is it going to be easier to create more money? 
So that's where you really begin. Then you can narrow down because there's so many passive income streams out there that you can build. You can narrow it down based off of that. If you have more money, maybe you can do portfolio income, rental income. If you have more time, you can do something like I did, which was I wrote a book and I launched Money Honey for under 600 bucks. I was super frugal with my, the way I spent the money and my resources. And that's become a really big money earner for me over time. Um, you know, other things that might take more time than money would be creating an online course. Um, anything really where you're packaging your knowledge and selling that as content that is more time intensive. And I truly believe we were talking about this earlier that everyone has knowledge they can teach somebody else. You don't have to be the number one expert in the world to be an expert. You just have to know more than the average person. And I know that every, everybody in some aspect has more knowledge in one area than the average person does. So you can teach that to other people. You can monetize that. Um, you can start a blog. You can figure out a way to make that passive over time by hiring writers. So the, the possibilities are endless. There's absolutely something out there for everybody. So... <clears throat> Take, just take me, take me down the real estate path though. So like, oh, sure. yeah. how, how would, how would you do that? If, if someone says, yeah, real estate's the answer, I think for me, what do I do first, second, and third? So with real estate, one of the first things you're going to want to do is put your team into place. So you're going to want to have a really great realtor who specifically understands investment properties and can help an investor. You're going to want to have a great lender and insurance agent. Um, really with any of these, it's, it begins with learning and educating yourself. You know, I talk a lot about rental income in my book, but another book that I love is called Hold by Steve Chater and the McKissicks. That's a really great book for um, investing in rental properties. You know, the biggest piece of advice I have for new real estate investors is be patient because good deals are hard to come by. And the last thing you want to do is settle for something that's not quite where you want it to be. Um, it took us nine months to find our first duplex and we went through putting offers in on properties, having accepted contracts that fell through, having inspections that caused us to back out. And so most people by that point, four, six, eight months in would get discouraged and give up. But the thing with rental properties is you have to be patient and be willing to wait it out for the right deal. Because then when it comes along, you're going to see it and recognize it and you're going to snatch it up and it's going to be the best thing that you ever did. And that's exactly what happened with our duplex. I still think to this day, it's the best investment we've ever made. I love that. It's interesting because um, and this is, this is by the way, almost anything I can imagine where you have a vision for it. If you, first off, believe that it can be done. Next off, you put yourself in a place to where you can make it happen. And then you actually get out there in the market and you see, you see, you see, you see, you see. And when the, if you're ready, when the right deal comes along, you're there. Exactly. You're, you're, you're there. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen if you're not acting like that's who I'm going to become. That's what I'm going to do. Like you had to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's almost like look at those first few months where you're learning and making offers and making mistakes. And <laughs> that's what everyone does. Just look at those as a learning opportunity. And that way, when the right deal comes along, you're going to be 100% confident and ready to go. So now you have one. You've got, let's just imagine I have, I have a duplex. Mm hmm um and in a, in 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 but you know that doesn't that doesn't create massive amounts of of passive income what next like how, let's I, like get me get me get me a few more how do i what what do you leverage that or what are, what are you doing to yeah, so a lot, people do this in a lot of different ways. Um, we could have leveraged it, but when we first invested in it, we were making $500 in cash flow, like net profit per month right off the bat. So it was really generating pretty significant amount of money. We were also really good at saving in general at that time. 
Um, and then the third thing that I had going for me financially was that I had my real estate license. So when I represented myself in that deal, I got the buyer's agent commission. So it actually did not take as long as I thought it was going to take to sort of replenish our savings account and purchase the next property. Cause I had that commission right off the bat. We were saving the same amount and then we were reinvesting everything we were earning. So I think it took us actually another nine months to find the second property and buy it. But by then we had enough money to, again, you know, purchase it with the 20 to 25% down payment. But another option that people do when they're first starting out is they'll do exactly what you said and they'll leverage that one of the properties that they've already bought. So they'll pull out like a home equity line or they'll refinance and pull out the money. Um, that's another thing we could have done with our duplex because we bought it for a hundred thousand. And keep in mind, this was in Louisville, Kentucky. So very, you know, low cost of living area. I can hear my Bay area people scoffing at me, but don't ever, <laughs> right. don't ever be afraid to invest out of state. The Midwest is a great place to invest. Um, but yeah, when we bought the duplex for a hundred thousand, we had to completely renovate one unit. And once we did that, the value of that duplex went up to about 140, 150 grand. So even if I didn't have that cash that I was able to save up for the next property, I could have refinanced that duplex. I could have pulled the equity out of that and used that as the next down payment. Love it. Love it. This is powerful stuff, Rachel. Like it's, it's one thing, <clears throat> you know, a, a lot of, a lot of the stuff we hear out there is people, you know, you know, it's, 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 you hope and you wish. And by the way, the, like the things we talked about earlier are very real. We do have to, we have, we have to remove some of those internal belief barriers, right. To be able to get to, to these places. But it's a whole lot easier to rest and relax and let's just say breathe in, breathe out, you know, push away the anxiety when we are getting, you know, seven to $12,000 of passive income. It's a whole lot easier, mm -hmm. right? When the big bad wolf isn't blowing on your house, a whole lot easier. So this is, this is a selfish one. Um, this is for me, but I know a lot of my people are, um, you know, we, we listen, writing a book is, is a thing, right? getting our voice out there as a thing. And, and you were able to publish Money Honey. I think you said you launched it at for 600 bucks. Um, it's been massively successful. You have, you, you're, you're bringing in commissions. Most books are written and never read. And um, definitely even, well, not many more actually make money. So, so what's the trick? What did you do? Can you, can you talk to some of us as, aspiring authors on, you know, maybe what to avoid and what to do in terms of writing a book? Yes, I love talking about this. It's so interesting, Donnie, because I read a statistic recently that something like 82 or 84% of Americans have a dream of writing a book, actually. I didn't realize that, but most people have this sort of hidden dream and they want to publish a book. And I kind of always felt that way, but I just never thought it was realistic or I didn't know how to go about it. Um, it wasn't until I read this other book, which is called Published by Chandler Bolt, excellent resource. And that book published, it taught me 99% of what I needed to know to effectively outline and market and write and launch a book. So I basically followed exactly what was in that. We already talked a little bit about having a unique value proposition, you know, understanding the problem that you're solving. And the next step of launching any successful product like a book is to go to where your target audience is. So to number one, to know your target audience. For me, mine was female millennials. And then to be able to find where those people are and begin adding value to them. 
So this is something I actually did unintentionally, but that I think it's really the number one reason my book did so well. I became really engaged in Facebook groups. And these Facebook groups weren't necessarily about money management, but they were full of female millennials. And so anytime a money question did come up, I would jump on and I would say, hey, I'm Rachel, you know, former financial advisor here. Here's what I think. And I'd write out a really helpful response. Well, I started doing that enough times that when a money question would come up, people would start tagging me and they'd be like, oh, you need to ask Rachel Richards or, hey, Rachel Richards is your girl and she'll help you. So I kind of became known in these Facebook groups, some of which were, you know, thousands of people as the finance guru, you know, the go-to finance person. So that was great. I did that well before I even started, started thinking of writing a book. And then once I had the book idea, I went to these groups and I was like, you guys, you know, here's what I'm thinking. What do you guys think? And then so many people were like, oh my gosh, Rachel, please write this book. Like you make finance so simple and easy to understand. I would definitely read this book. So in a way, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was forming a launch team. And that's something that Chandler talks about in the book is having a launch team, you know, people that are really committed to buying and sharing and reviewing your book when it comes out. And that's what I was doing. You know, I was using these groups to kind of do market research. I had them vote on my cover. I had them vote on my title. So by the time I launched the book, there were like thousands of people that were emotionally invested in the success of my book. And that I was able to launch it with a really big bang and that really created a lot of long-term momentum and it's helped it stay relevant even, you know, two years later. So that is, I would say my, my key secret ingredient for you. Love it. That's so good. Did you, um, now did you go through a big publisher? Did you self-publish? What was your... Yeah, so I did a lot of research on traditional versus self-publishing. And my thought at the time, I think a lot of people have the same thought, is that if you can land a traditional publishing deal, you're going to have you know, a ton of success. They're going to do all the marketing and they're going to get you on the national campaign and the book tour and all that stuff. I realized that that's actually not true. And that's only true for like the big time authors that are already out there. And for first time authors, if you get a traditional publishing deal, they actually still expect you to do 99% of the launching and promoting and marketing. So then I was like, well, that doesn't make sense because right. If I'm going to do traditional publishing and make a 15% royalty versus I could self publish on Amazon and make up to 70%, and still do the same amount of work, I was like, yeah, I'm going to definitely do self-publishing. And I'm so glad I did. I think that's what any first-time author needs to do, anyone that doesn't have a platform. I mean, no one knew who I was in 2017. I had no following, no platform. And so I think self-publishing was definitely the right way to go. Love it. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for that. This, is, yeah. this has been fun. Rachel, what's next? Where are you going next? Uh, I know you've got some online stuff you're putting out there. Like, what's next? Yeah, I do. This year, I'm really focusing on online courses. So I just launched my first online course that goes along with my book, Money Honey. Um, and, you know, just I'm going to continue working on that. My really big dream, which is more of a long term goal, is actually to do fiction and to write a novel. So I'm pretty excited about that. I haven't started at all. It's a dream right now, but it's going to happen. So <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, hey, that sounds that sounds amazing. It's so cool. Listen, um, talking to someone who came to a revelation that the reality that she has is the reality that she was going to create. And um, there, there's so much value for the rest of us in, in being able to draw from that. And, and I know you have so much more to tell in your story. I am going to read Money Honey. 
Um, I, I will you. I will absolutely commit to that. Although I, I, I checked Audible. I wish you were on Audible. Oh, I am. You are. Yeah. Okay. If you can't find it, let me know. But yeah, both of my books are on ebook, paperback, and audio on Audible and Amazon. Okay. So, yeah. uh, okay. So consider that one done immediately. <laughs> Yay. And um, listen, I, I, and I'll have that link in, in the show notes here. But um, for the rest of us, listen, like, how can we not want more Rachel in our lives, right? <laughs> how, can, how can we continue this, this journey with you? How can we um, hear more of you, see more of you, um, you know, allow you to be a part of our lives? Where can we find you? What, what can we do? Yeah, definitely. Um, so you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram. You just search Money Honey Rachel. And then I would love to give your listeners my free passive income starter kit. Ooh. So yes, yeah, so you can learn, you know, the three deadly mistakes to avoid. There's free resources and tools, and it'll help you decide which type of passive income stream to pursue first. So you can go to www.moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus to download that. Rachel, you are the bomb.com. Thank you so much for hanging with us today. And uh, thanks for thanks for changing lives. Thanks for doing what you do. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. And guys, listen, if, uh, if you can sell anywhere, you can sell everywhere. And uh, if you can be connected with your purpose, you're going to find that your profit is going to grow even more. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sell Anywhere podcast, where we believe if you can sell anywhere, you can sell everywhere, and your talent is not limited to your zip code. Listen, this is not a one-way street. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you uh, on your ratings. Write me on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you listen to us on. That helps me immensely. Do that now, but also reach out. Find us on sellanywhere.com and you can interact with us there on LinkedIn, on so many different places. I want to hear from you. What are your struggles? Who do you want on the show? What are things that you feel like I could help you to solve? I love you so much that I'm doing whatever I can to give value so that I can spend the rest of my life with you. So let me know what I could be doing to help you in your journey. 